Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that comes in the form of a question. Jesus asked many more questions than he answered. I think recorded in scripture, there are only six times that he answered a question, but he asked over a hundred. And today the question is, do you have the answers to the test? There are many tests in life. And for all of us, even from our elementary school days, we learned that there is a test giver and there are test takers. The giver of the test has insight that those who are taking the test must attain. They know the answers to the test before they give it. Those who take the test or who partake of the test must study, they must learn, they must research, whether it's an open book test, whether it's a closed book test, whether it's a pop quiz, whether it's a midterm or final, the one thing that all tests have in common is that the test giver has more knowledge, insight, and information than the test taker. And even if the test taker gets 100, they got it because they put in the time and the work to learn the answers to the test. When I was growing up, there was a song, Lord, I'm running, trying to make 100. 99 and a half won't do. It just won't do. The, 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 the striving for perfection should never be in ourselves. The way to make 100 on the test of life is to wholly lean on Jesus Christ and to know that you never could make it without him. We need him. We all need a savior. I don't care how long you've been walking with him. You need him as much today as when he first found you. We need a savior. And I believe that the word that we're about to embark on for the next several weeks, this is gonna be a series focused on the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. It has 70 verses. It's not reasonable or rational to think we would get that done in one Sunday, but we wanna go through every one. If it takes six weeks, if it takes seven weeks, whatever the Lord says, we wanna go through it because there are lessons for this generation in this word. And so let's begin. We're gonna read from the Gospel of John Chapter 6, I'm going to read from the New King James Version. I know people have many different versions, but we're going to put it up on the screen so that we're, we're on one accord in terms of what we're reading today. Verse 1 reads, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. 
And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Let's take this text from the top. The first three words says, after these things. The question is, what are these things that happen before we launch into John 6? Well, there are a couple things. He did some signs as it's written. He healed some sick people. And his, his name, his fame was going out. And so a multitude began to follow him, not because of who he was, because of what he did. I think I'm talking to somebody today. You don't want to follow him because of what he can do for you. You want to follow him because of who he is. This morning, the worship team sang, we worship you because of who you are. The most important thing in Christendom is relationship. God covets relationship. Relationship is higher than religion. Relationship is higher than righteousness, especially when the righteousness is in yourself. Self-righteousness ranks low in the eyes of God because our righteousness is of him. It's in him. We live and move and have our being in him. Everything we are is because of him. Our very life emanates from him. And so he was also teaching when it says after these things. Before that, in chapter 5, he's teaching. He's teaching about life and judgment. There's a lot of teaching in our generation about life, but not so much judgment. Because people want to know, how can my life be better? How can my life improve, but they're not thinking about the things that would cause them to walk in a way that is pleasing to God and upright, and that is judgment. But there's not a lot of teaching on that. And then he taught them because they were skeptical. They wanted to have proof that he was who he said he was. They had not seen enough. They followed him because of signs but they required signs to, for him to prove that who he was, who he said he was. And so he talked about the fourfold witness as chapter five is, is ending. 
And what is the fourfold witness? Those of you who are taking notes, the first is John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, who spoke about the one who was to come after him and made it clear that there's one coming after me who's greater. I baptize you with water, but the one who comes after me shall baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. I'm not worthy to loose his sandals. This one is greater. I'm not he. But here's what you ought to know. I must decrease and he must increase. I got to move out of the way so that he can come because the one who's promised is the one who's coming after me. I'm just making his way straight. I'm pointing to him. And everyone who's a minister of the gospel ought to have the anointing of John the Baptist pointing to him. It's not about the minister. It's about the one who we represent, the one who can change your life, the one who can transform your life. I am a witness that Jesus saves. I'm a witness that Jesus can be whatever you need him to be. There's nobody like him. There's nobody beside him. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. The greatest king who ever lived had a king and his name was King Jesus. John was the first of the fourfold witness. The next were the works. And even though people saw the works, it wasn't enough. They wanted a sign. They wanted to see more. Jesus said to his disciples, the 12, at this time, the 11, before he went to the cross, he said, believe me, if not for the word's sake, for the work's sake, that the works I do, I do because I see my father work. In other words, I am one with God. People had a hard time believing that he was the son of God because that means he's equal with God. He's the same substance. He's the same material. They saw that as blasphemy. And he said, if you don't believe me because of what I say, if you don't believe my testimony is true, there's one who testifies of me who is true. And the works that I do, these works testify of me. That's the second of the fourfold witness. The third was the father. Jesus says, my father testifies of me. I don't need approval of humans because my father testifies of me. On the day that John the Baptist reluctantly baptized him, when he came out up out of the water, having done no miracle, having done nothing. See, the, the stuff that the people were chasing after was not what God was interested in. God was interested in relationship, and that relationship was born out of obedience. Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And everything his father asked of him, everything his father required, he did. That made the relationship intimate. That caused the father to be pleased with his son. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And a dove descended and, and fell upon him just as John the Baptist said he would. Another time, he took three disciples in his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and took them on a mountain that's called the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And as they watched, they saw three on the mountain, Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. And they were stunned. Elijah stood for the prophets, Moses the lawgiver, and Jesus the Messiah. And the Bible says, all the law and the prophets hang on him. And they saw the three of them talking. And Peter, in his sanguine way, said, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for you. And a voice from heaven interrupted Peter and said, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. You've already heard from Elijah. Moses writings are in the scrolls for you to read. But this is a time to hear him. There was a time when God spoke to us by the mouth of the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks to us by his son. And he was making it clear by his witness from heaven, you are to hear him. So the three witnesses so far, John the Baptist, the works, the father, and the fourth is the scripture. Jesus said to his distractors, one day they were testing him. And he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. He's saying, I'm right here in front of you, and you don't know, you're rejecting the truth. You think you have eternal life. And you don't even know that the scripture is, is speaking of me. Discernment is so important. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Spiritual discernment is important, especially in the times that we're living in, where there's lawlessness everywhere, where there's doctrines, diverse doctrines. You've got to make certain that you are found in him. And I am persuaded that God is doing a work in equipping his church, in equipping his church. And we'll talk about that in a little bit greater depth and detail as we go through what the scripture says. This multitude that followed him, followed him because they saw the signs which he did. So they were interested in the signs more than they were interested in him. They weren't interested in learning of him. They weren't interested in having a relationship with him. They saw that he, people who had diseases, and it wasn't them personally, they saw that he had healed those who had disease. So they, some of them heard about him, some of them witnessed it, but they didn't have direct relationship with him. And that's a dangerous thing. It's not enough to know about him. You got to know him. And that's what he wants. That's what he wants more than anything, to be known and to be made known. He wants us to know him in such a way that we, we know that he can't be contained in a single vessel so that we tell the world about him about his goodness and who he is. People of faith do not follow signs. Signs 
follow people of faith. Sometimes it gets mixed up. People want to follow signs. That's what they did. But Jesus was trying to let them know. And before he left this earth, he said, these signs shall follow them that believe. See, we have some answers to the test that contemporaries of Jesus didn't have. But his method of teaching them is the same method that he uses today with us. And we want to examine that a little bit further, but people of faith do not follow signs. Signs follow us. If Jesus knows what we're going to do before we do it, what is the reason for the test? When Philip was asked the question, where shall we buy bread? Jesus never had any intention of buying bread, right? They were in the wilderness. But the Bible says he asked this question knowing what he himself would do. Well, one of the reasons Jesus gives you and me a test like he gave Philip is because he wants us to know his ways. He wants us to understand him at a deeper level. And he also wants us to know our own limitations. He knew what Philip would do, but Philip didn't know what he would do. Philip gave the natural response. He said, well, he answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little, just a little. It's not enough. And what, what is the value of 200 denarii? In the Roman Empire, it was, it was an agricultural um, economy at the time. And so 200 denarii, one denarii, one unit, is equal to the value of 10 mules, 10 donkeys, 10 beasts of burdens. In, in, in an agricultural world, a beast of burden is valuable, right? Because they plow the fields. And when you get a, a harvest or a crop, that's how you get revenue. He said 200. So what he was saying is 200 times 10 units would be 2,000 mules. If we had those to sell, to trade for bread, there wouldn't be enough bread just so that everyone could have a little. But then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said, I know somebody who has something. Lord, let's see what you can do with it. There's a little lad who probably wasn't even accounted among the 5,000. This is the 5,000. It was 5,000 men plus women and children. So this little lad who's insignificant in, in that society at the time because he had not come of age, had five barley loaves and two fish. I want you to know that little is much in the master's hand. Even Andrew, who wasn't skeptical, and he pointed to what was there, Philip had just said, if we had 2,000 mules, it wouldn't be enough. Andrew focused on what was there, not believing that it could be multiplied, but once the Lord knew, heard that this lad had five barley loaves and two fish, he said, bring them to me. And then he told them, go make the people sit down. And they sat them down and they organized them. And he took 
those five barley loaves and two fish. And not only did he feed them all, but they took up 12 baskets. Philip said, even if we had enough money to buy bread, it would only be enough so everybody could have a little. When Jesus touched it, it was enough for everybody to be filled and to have leftovers. Do you have the answers to the test? What is the significance of what Jesus did? Was it about the bread? Was it about the fish? Well, it was about the bread of heaven. And as we get into this in the coming weeks, you'll see that that became great contention. People loved his signs, but they had a, a hard time with the truth because they couldn't see it through spiritual eyes. Some of them, I'm certain, were really smart. I had a, a person who I worked with some years ago. In fact, I invited her and her family to New Covenant several times. She used to sit right up there. And at work, when she sensed by my conduct that I was a believer, she was a seeker. She's what you would call a seeker. And she was interested in the Bible. And so we would have conversations. She had a doctor, doctorate degree in pharmacy, what's known as a PharmD. Very, very bright, could read very well, but did not understand the scripture. Just didn't understand them. And so she would email me or see me in the hallway and ask a question. And I would give a response that I thought was adequate for a question that was not deep. It was rudimentary because this was a seeker, had no experience with the things of God. And so even the most simplistic response, there was no understanding. And the person grew frustrated and started looking in other areas because the, the, the heart was yearning for truth or for something, but it could only be satisfied with understanding. When there's no understanding, it's rejection because you're like, I don't get this. And that's one of the reasons the devil puts a veil over people's eyes, even people who God is after, so they don't understand the word. Or even when you realize I'm getting weak and you want to pray, a spirit of slumber falls on you. You can be involved in other activity, other activities. Doesn't have, good or bad is not the point, but other activities that are not things that cause you to grow in grace and in the knowledge of him, and you got, you're full of energy. But you start to focus on the word of God and you, all of a sudden, slumber comes upon you. You try to pray, and you, you're saying, thank you, Jesus, more than you're actually praying because the enemy wants to put a veil over your eyes. This person could read very well but could not understand what they were reading, kind of like the eunuch. I've had other people in my life, very little education. Some would say no education, just a grade school education but their love for God was burning so hot that they had a teacher who was a revealer of secrets. And he revealed secrets to them and they understood the things of God and it didn't take much to explain it. You say it and they get it. 
They'll get happy in the grocery store because they understood the things of God. We understand the things of God by revelation, not by education, not by knowledge. You learn and you pursue him for that reason, but we pursue him for relationship, for relationship, because that's what he wants. In the end, when he judges the world, when he was teaching them about judgment in Matthew 25, he said, many are going to say to me, Lord, I did this, I did this, I did it in your name. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. He wants to know the real us. That's what he's interested in. I had an experience recently with a dear childhood friend, dear childhood friend. I was getting frustrated with him because I, I felt he wasn't growing. He just wasn't. I'm talking about growing as a man. Like he's still doing stuff that we did when we were teenagers. And I had this, this time where, I mean, I love this dude. We were tight. We were teammates. We were ride or die. And God showed me something. Two Fridays ago, I was coming here for a funeral. And I had this sense I need to reach out to him. And I called them, and I was driving up the hill on campus, and I had to pull over. And he, he said, Bobby Oliver, I just want you to know, I want to keep it real with you. I love you, bro. He said, but I'm dying. I couldn't believe it. I was coming here for a funeral for a young man, and a dear friend told me this. And then he told me, I've been in and out of the hospital almost like clockwork every four months. He said, but now, I said, what is the doctor saying to you? The report is bad. It isn't good. And I remembered a time when someone broke into his home and we thought we were going to lose him. The person was armed. He was there. He went and confronted the person. The person shot him. It was very dangerous. He was close to death. And we were talking at a, at a playground where we would often play. And he couldn't play yet. I'm standing outside of the, the barbed wire fence or the chain link, not barbed wire. It wasn't, we weren't in prison. <laughs> it, it was a, that was just a mistake. Uh, but we're standing outside the fence and he says something to me I never will forget. This was many years ago. And he said, you know, I realize now that I'm alive because of the grace of God. He said, and I told him, I'm never going to leave him. I'm going to be with you forever. And then his wounds healed, and he went back to being what he was, the lady's delight. And he, I asked him about that a couple years ago, and he said, you know, I don't remember that. I thought, I remember it, but he doesn't. But there's a purpose. There's a purpose for God keeping it in my spirit because he knew when God gives us the test, he knows what we're going to do, just like Philip. He knew that there would come a time in the future where he was going to need to be reminded. And he knew that I was the one. It was just the two of us there talking. He knew where I would be in my life and my walk with him, and he knew where he would be. So suffice it to say, I began to minister to him and to witness and to call God my father. And he said, I just want you to know, but I showed the text to some people not long ago. He talked about his love for me personally and how much 
he was encouraged by being reintroduced and reminded that he has a father in heaven. Because I told him, I, I don't want you to fear. I'm in, I'm in shock, but I want you to know that you can have eternal life, that this isn't it. I don't want you to be afraid. Let's pray. And I started sending him scripture and he received it. And here's what I learned in the process that God showed me that he, he and I were talking and he was using language that I wouldn't use. And he was, he said, this is how I talk to God. And first it's like the shock, you know, you feel something in your, in your body. And then God said, what I want is authenticity. The things that offend you don't offend me. I'm not offended by that. I love him. I want him to be where I am. And I realize that authenticity is greater than putting on a face. And too often we learn how to put on a face and how to be proper. That's not righteousness. God wants to know us in relationship. And I realize my friend, had an authentic relationship that he was reintroduced to. He doesn't know how to pray. If he came in here, he wouldn't be received as someone. You would know he's not from here. He's not one of us. But I'm, I promise you, I sense it in my spirit. God is happy to hear from him. Every time he calls, God is happy to hear from him. That's what Jesus wants us to know about him, that he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He is interested in us receiving what he came to give us, and that's eternal life. And so that's why these people seeking signs frustrated Jesus. He's like, it's not about that. Do you understand there is a purpose for signs, and the sign is so that unbelievers would be, be drawn and that they would know that God is real. But now these are people who supposedly are believers in Israel and they want a sign. What is the sign for? To prove something to you? No, you need to have relationship with God because when you are in right relationship, signs follow you. And what God wants is the authentic me and the authentic you. I want to say this before we look at a companion scripture. What appeared to be little in the eyes of these disciples, what appeared to be little was more than enough in the hands of Jesus. I want to speak to somebody who feels like you don't have enough, that you don't measure up, I promise you, in the master's hand, he'll multiply whatever you have. That's how you will know that he's God. There'll be no question. You will have no doubt that he is who he says he is. Take your little and put it in his hands. Take your little and put it in his hands and watch what he can do with two fish and five loaves. There'll be more than enough to go around. So let's, I want to look at a companion scripture because we're going to go a little bit deeper before we close. If you want to go deeper in the chat, I want you to type, type in, let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. So we all want to go higher, but there's a season that we need to go deeper. We need to go deeper. 
We've had enough going higher. That's emotional. It's time to go deeper so that we can learn of him. The 16th chapter of Matthew, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to break some things down. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him. In the beginning, I talked about the role of the test giver and the test taker. These religious sects, Pharisees and Sadducees, were to be test takers, but they want to be in the role of test givers. That is what it's like to sit in judgment of someone. Paul said, who are you, old vain man, who judges another man's servant? It's God who justifies. And so when we sit in, when my attitude towards my dear friend was what it was, God had to bring me to a place of repentance because my only job was to love him and to lead him to the one who can save anybody, who can save anybody, who can pick anybody up. I don't care how deep and dark your pit is, he can pick you up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. And whenever we lose sight of that, we lose sight of who he is. And so there are lessons in everything, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and testing him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he departed, and he left them and departed. And when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Listen up. Then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus being aware of it, said to them, O oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up. How is it you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees 
and Sadducees. I call this a companion scripture because that miracle of the 5,000 is spoken of and also the miracle of the 4,000. We, in John 6, we read about the miracle of the 5,000. There are some who say they're both the same. They're not. They're obviously different. They're in different locations. The quantities are different. It's totally different. Of the 5,000, all four Gospels record them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of the 4,000, two, Matthew and Mark record them. And we won't get into the whys and wherefores because I want to look at something very uh, specifically here. First of all, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of his day for not discerning the, the times. He said, you can look up at the sky and you know when bad weather is coming. And then he called them hypocrites. Why did he call them hypocrites? Because David in Psalm 19 and 1 made it clear. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament the, the sky shows his handiwork. If you want to see the handiwork of God, all you have to do is look up. I haven't been on a plane much in the last almost two years because of uh, COVID, but I used to fly all the time, domestically and internationally. And there are two things I always do. I pray before we go up and I give thanks when we land. It's just, it was, it's a practice, it's habitual. But in the interim, while we're flying, as we get up to the clouds, I look at the clouds and I can hear the voice of the prophet Nahum saying, our God has his way in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. And I'll be sitting there looking out the window, looking at the purity of the clouds as we go through them unobstructed, and I say, how great is our God? The clouds are the dust of his feet. How pure is he? And I would have ministry with my, in myself on that plane. Sometimes my lips might start moving as I'm talking to myself and reflecting on the glory of God. You can't look up and not see the glory of God unless you have no spiritual awareness or discernment, and that's why Jesus said, you can look, you can discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the times. You're asking for a sign and the sign is in front of you. You've been reading the scriptures all your life. You grew up in synagogue and you knew, about, you heard about the one to come. I'm here, I'm in front of you and you don't know, you can't recognize me, you hypocrites. How do, how do you know when it's about to rain? Because you took the time to study the patterns. You look at the scripture, but you're not learning anything. You're ever learning and never coming into the knowledge of the truth. I'm the one who was promised. I'm right in front of you, and you're looking for another. You're looking for someone else. You are hypocrites. Now, he didn't say this just to rebuke them and to put them down. He wanted them to know the truth. He wanted them to know him. What was Jesus saying to his disciples and to us? You notice that in both of these stories, in John 6 and in Matthew 16, there are multitudes, but he always goes to his disciples and teaches them. Jesus can say something to the whole world, but the only ones that'll get it are the ones who are intimate with him. 
because he gives a, he said the same thing to them in the beginning and when they finally got it. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But the second time they got it because he did teaching in the middle. So we need to be, we need to hear him. We need to communicate with him because there are affairs in life that you won't understand unless you, you consult with him. And he is a great teacher, but he's also a tester. Let me tell you something about the test before we go a little bit deeper. The tester from heaven will never tempt us or test us with evil, evil, because God can't be tempted with evil. So whenever you're tempted, it's either, James makes it clear, we're driven away by our own lust. So it's either my flesh or it's the enemy of my soul. So I know it's not God. But when there's something that pertains to the things of God that God wants me to know, like the story I told you about my friend and how I could lead him to that way that's straight and narrow, God had to show me something, show me, cause me to remember something that he communicated to us decades ago and also caused me to see myself so that my heart could be tender so I could minister to him in a way that he received and not judge him because of the way, because of his language, but just to love him because with loving kindness, God has drawn, has drawn us. If he did it for you, he'll do the same thing for your neighbor, but he wants us to be vessels, vessels who are yielded. Just as Jesus was obedient, he wants us to be obedient. As he was, so are we. And one day, we're going to be just like he is when we see him. Because when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Somebody say amen. amen. So we are, so the Sadducees and the Pharisees try to test him. But let's get some answers to the test for ourselves. We're not going to focus on those self-righteous folk. But let's look at the two miracles and what they mean to the faith. The first was in a location um, called Bethesda. It was right outside of Bethesda, a Jewish region. The baskets that, were, that they were in is called, in Greek, it's called a hand basket. It literally means a hand basket. So they took up they're in a Jewish region. There are 12 fragments or baskets. That is the 12 tribes of Israel. So the gospel goes to who? The Jew first, but then also the Greek. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So Jesus is communicating something that I'm certain years later they look back and they got it. Just like my conversation with my dear friend happened and then decades later I understood what God was doing because he presented a moment to usher in eternity. Because this is what it's all about. When the 70 went out and they were excited because the demons trembled at his name, he said, I, I saw Satan fall as lightning. Don't be excited because the devils are subject to you. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. 
He said, this sacrifice that I made, this redemption is about you entering into eternity now. Time and eternity come together in him because Jesus has power in and out of time, in and out of time. We want to receive him in time so that when we're out of time, we're still with him because his power doesn't diminish. He is, he is one who doesn't slumber or sleep. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Somebody ought to type that. You can't outlive Jesus and you can't live without him because he is the one who is in and out of time. He came into time so that he can take us out and so that we can go into eternity. And this is eternal life, that you believe on him whom God has sent. Eternity begins in your life the day that you receive Jesus, who is the Christ. So the 5,000 in a Jewish region, the 12 fragments, 12 tribes of Israel, the 4,000 was in Decapolis, a Gentile region. The Greek word for basket is large basket. It's like the basket that Paul was let down in over the wall. It was large enough for a grown uh, adult person to be in. That's the large basket because the Gentiles, there are many more Gentiles than Jews. Seven fish and seven baskets. Seven and seven. Seven is completeness. What he's saying is this gospel that is through the promise of Abraham is going to the seed of Abraham, the Jew first, but every nation of the earth is blessed through Abraham. Jesus is ushering that in. It wasn't just about the, the sign. It just wasn't about feeding them. It was about the bread of heaven. He wanted them to know what he was doing. And they had five barley loaves. Jesus wanted them to know that I'm about to release a five-fold ministry in the earth. It has been that you have followed the direction of kings and priests and, and, and those who were anointed at, at, in your time and prophets, kings, prophets and kings and priests. But now I'm going to send a five-fold ministry. All of that is the real message in the sign of the seven, the 5,000, and the 4,000. But if I only see it with my natural eyes, I miss that. And the problem is that the people of Jesus' day missed the spiritual message because they were focused on the natural things they can get. He'll give me food when I'm hungry. He'll heal my body when I'm sick rather than seeking relationship so that you can have all of him. Because when you have him, you have more than enough. He's everything you need. You don't need anything else. He's got whatever you need. He'll be whatever you need when you need it. And even when you're in trouble, see, the people were just looking for, they didn't understand what abundant life really was. They just wanted a bed of ease. They wanted comfort. They wanted their needs met at the point of need. But in this world, you're going to have tribulation. And Jesus went to the cross, and it was so agonizing. 
he wanted another way, but he said, if this is your will, not mine, but yours, the people of God who really know him and who really love him will submit even if it costs them something. There's nothing in life that doesn't cost you something. The things that appear to be convenient will cost you something, and generally it costs you sustained happiness. There are many people in Hollywood who are famous, who have lots of money, and who, whose lives are miserable. They've been divorced five times. They are, they're addicted to, to anything and everything that, can, that they think can heal their pain. Some of them are suicidal. Some of them are successful, and not just the ideation, they do it. It's not in those things. It's in him. It's in him. And then there are people like the first century church who were persecuted, but they got stronger and they grew more. The power of God is not released in times of ease. The power of God is released under pressure. And that's when you know the people who are really in him because God's seal is upon them. Do you have the answers to the test? There's nothing like, now I hope I'm not talking to anybody, but I just feel like I'm going to be talking to somebody. You walk into the classroom and the teacher says, pencils down. And you know you haven't finished the test. The test has 30 questions. You're on question 12. And the teacher says, pencils down. What does it feel like in that moment? You know there's no chance that I can pass. Some people, people with street smarts say, you know what? I got a better shot at doing all right if I just do something. So I'm going to do A, D, C, G, whatever. Not even a G is, a, is an option. But you, you're going to, you just want to finish. Do not get to the place in your walk with him where you just want to finish. We got to make certain that we have oil in our lamp all the time because you never know when the master, when the bridegroom is going to come. And he's coming for a bride. He's coming for a bride that is without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, or any such thing. And so the reason he's teaching and the reason he's asking questions and the reasons he's testing is because he wants us to be ready. He wants us to be ready. Some of the things that make us uncomfortable that we want to get out from under, I want you to relax. It's only a test. He's trying to bring you into the place where you're supposed to be at the time that you're supposed to be there. I, one of the things I wanted to say to all of you on behalf of my wife and I is thank you for the encouragement, for the cards. For the, I read every single one of them, every personal note, every note in the margin, every card, it blessed me. And thank you for your generosity on behalf of my wife and I. And one of the cards that I received, it says, you are right where you're supposed to be. And I think it said right now. I received that, it's still sitting up where I could see it. Because it's sometimes God has a way of sending confirmation to you so that you know. I had another person, an intercessor, who's not a part of New Covenant, but God has put it on her heart to pray for me all the time. And every now and then there's something that can't be contained. 
And through their pastor, they send it to me. And it said, man of God, and I've been hearing this a lot. I, I met with the Gometsis a couple of weeks, weeks ago and Prophet Sherry, when she greeted me, she said, man of God. There are other people, maybe four people, they greet me, man of God. And the spirit spoke to me and said, this is your identity. It's not about title. It's not about what people think of you or what they call you or don't call you. Your life has to reflect a man of God. Affirmation comes. Jesus is always speaking. He's always teaching, but you got to know it. You don't want to be one who can discern the sky but cannot discern the times. So this one says you're right where you're supposed to be. Then this, this person, this prayer warrior, sends me a note and said, oh man of God, drink from the fountain of hope. Hope is not that things get better. Hope is waiting on God until God's plan is revealed. And I want you to know that God says that you are a builder. So that was a word to say, keep building. Don't get discouraged. What is God saying to you? I promise you, God is speaking to you. You just have to listen. Jesus wanted them to know you can't look up at the sky and not see the glory of God. You're looking for a sign. Signs are all around you. You just can't see them. That's why you're not going to get one except the prophet Jonah. You need to learn something. You need to know how to see what God is doing. You need to know how to see what God is saying. Not just hear it, but see it. That's what revelation is. Things are revealed that don't seem obvious to the natural eye. Do you have the answers to the test? The answer is yes. Do you know that there are people who fail open book tests? They fail open book tests because they don't open the book. Some, somebody is failing an open book test because you don't open the book enough. You need to open the book to get the answers that are written. There's a book where there's no new revelation. All the revelation is in 66 books. And if you learn that book, you'll have the answers to the test. And see, there's a way to use Scripture, and there's a way not to use Scripture. And God teaches us that on a daily basis. In this sixth chapter of John, as we go through in the weeks of come, to come, we're going to hear him say, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. Paul puts it this way. The letter kills, but the spirit makes alive. There are two people can look at the same text. One can speak condemnation and death to you. The other can speak inspiration and life to you. The same words, because one is worked by the spirit and the other is worked by the flesh. The law was given to condemn sin in the flesh. That's the purpose of the law. That's the purpose of the letter. The spirit was given that we might have life and that if we walk in it and as we walk in it, there would never be condemnation. So one is for condemn condemnation of sin in the flesh and the other is life to guard you from condemnation. For they that walk in the spirit and not in the flesh those individuals 
there is therefore now no condemnation for those who walk in the spirit, who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. But it's a constant, it's a constant fight. And the test that you get in your flesh is not of God. And if you know that and you say, you're like, oh, this is not of God, right away you should be alert. Ding, 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 red alarms should go off and you know I need to seek the way that God would have me to go. Here's what I want to tell you as we close. That the God we serve is faithful and he will never put more on you than you can bear. But with the temptation, the Bible says, he will always give us a way of escape. Somebody that I'm talking to needs a way of escape. God is going to give you, he's going to show you how to get out of that mess that you've gotten yourself in. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. His heart is broken because he's like right here. This is the way. Walk in it. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. I, I want to extend an invitation to those of you who today know that you would like to pass the to have the answers to the test in order to pass the test. And even though it's an open book test, you just have difficulty with the book. Even when you open it, you don't have the energy and the stamina to read it to the point of understanding. I want you to know there's an enemy of your soul who wants to keep you from that. Either there's one of two things as it relates to scripture and the Bible. The Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. It's a binary choice. And today I want you to choose life life that is in the spirit, life that is in the son of God, where those people who were in his very presence didn't recognize him and didn't know them because their, their righteousness was in themselves. That's not, that's not who we are. That's not who God wants us to be. And I want you to know today, if you would humble yourself and say, Lord, I know that I need you. I can't do life without you. I've had so many tests and trials, so many things that I can't figure out. I today want to come to you. I want to sit at your feet. I want to choose the best part. I've been encumbered with many things. I'm always busy. I can't ever catch up. Lord, I don't have time for this. Can you imagine saying to the creator of everything that you don't have time for them? The one who holds time, the one who can end our time in a moment, but because he's compassionate. And especially to those of us who are Gentiles. One of the things that's evident in the scripture where he talks about the 4,000 in Matthew 16, it says, Jesus said to the disciples to sit the people down. He went through the whole thing with the bread. And then he says, for I have compassion on them. For they followed me for these three days and haven't eaten. 
and I don't want to send them away hungry. The bread of heaven wants to feed you. He knows that you can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he, it begins with compassion, compassion for you. He's not angry with you. He's compassionate. And with loving kindness, he wants to draw you today. If you're that person, I want you to say right where you are, wherever you are can be an altar. You don't have to come and come to this altar. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's an altar. But there's also some people who are waiting to pray with you and to be there with you. There should be a number on the screen or a Zoom link where you can go and have committed believers who will pray with you. It's a safe space. But I want you to begin right where you are saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I've tried to do this on my own. And I realize today that I've been failing test after test. God, I know that there are times when you're trying to get my attention, but I'm encumbered with many things. Today, today I surrender to you. I surrender all, my very life, to you. Receive me unto yourself. Change me as you promised. You promised that if anyone, if any man, woman, boy, or girl be in Christ, they are a new creation. All things will pass away. And behold, or look, all things shall become new. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead that I might receive newness of life. Today, I receive you. Save me. Take my life. In Jesus' name, if you prayed that prayer, you're going to behold, you're going to see a transformation. God wants to show you in your life, by your experience, that he is real. Not like the people who follow him because of what he could do for them. They saw the signs, but they couldn't see him. They saw the miracles, but they couldn't see him. I just, I want to see him. I want to see him if I'm in the supermarket, when I'm in my car. I want to hear him. When I'm alone, I want to see him. I want to hear him. I just want to be with him. God is looking for people who just want him because he wants us to realize that when we have him, he's more than enough. He watches over the sparrows. Every hair on your head is numbered. Every hair. That's not the same as he knows how many hairs are on your head. Every single one of him, that's how detailed he is. He knows every one. If one follicle falls, he knows that's 3,086. Everything about you, he knows intimately. He wants us with the time that we have, which is limited, to know our part, because we know in part, and depending on your capacity, he wants to fill you up.
I found myself praying this morning a prayer that I hadn't preconceived. And I know why the Spirit put it in my heart and in my mouth. I said, Lord, today, fill this earthen vessel with as much capacity of you as I can hold. Because we all have different levels of capacity. And as we grow, our storage increases. That's why we want to grow in grace. And I'm telling you that God is also compassionate, not just for those who don't know him, but for those who are weary in their walk. For those who've gotten to the place where they think it's for the lost, it's for someone else. Judgment begins in the house of God. And I want you to know that I need a savior as much as the drug addict in Kensington. The only difference between us is I have him, but I gotta stay with him. You never get to a point where, Lord, I got this now. I don't need you anymore. We need a savior until the redemption of the per purchase possession. So God wants his church to know more than ever that we need him. Yes, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Bless me now, my savior. I come to thee. There's a time when the people of God need to come to the altar. It's not just for the one that we see stained with sin, because without him, we're sinners. Without him, we're lost. Without him, we're a ship without a sail. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior. I come to you. As we get into this sixth chapter, you're going to see there gets a point where, where the people leave Jesus and he says to his disciples, he says to them, will you leave me also? I believe he's saying to the church, the world is in a state of apostasy. There's lawlessness everywhere. Will you leave me also? And Peter had the right response. He said, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. There's no other. There's not one like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. And so I want to encourage the people of God as God continues to equip his saints and to equip the church that every day when we wake up and every day when we lay down, we need to realize that we need him every hour. It's not just for the person who's lost, because, but for him, I'm lost and you're lost. And I believe God wants passionate believers today to be an example for the world. It's hard to, I'm, I'm trying to close, I'm trying to close, I promise you. It's hard to tell the difference between those who are his and those who are not. In the generation that Jesus spoke to, it was new, it was all brand new. They were holding on to their religious beliefs and what they taught and he came to do a new thing. He came to usher in 
a kingdom and they couldn't understand it. Today, because there's diverse doctrines and there's so much schism, it keeps the walls up. And there are people who think that I'm right and you're wrong and vice versa. God is coming to blow all that up. He's doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing as he gathers his people. And the thing about the flock that he taught me, that he's teaching me, is that in every flock, there are sheep and there are goats. There are sheep and there are goats. In Matthew 25, you can look it up. You see him saying in the end, he's going to judge the nations and he's going to separate the sheep from the goat. The fact that he has to separate them means that they congregated together. And then with the sheep, there are some wolves who have on sheep clothing. That's why he's gathering his people. He's gathering so that when the day of separating comes, we're found in him. And that's where we want to be. And that's what these teachings are going to be about, getting us closer to him. You don't have to get ready. You got to be ready. Because when he comes, it's not the time to get ready. That's the time you better be ready. And I believe that he's gathering his people together and he's equipping the saints. He's equipping the church. I'm glad we have a few guests today from YWAM. God bless you. God bless you. There's a time that God will send people from other parts of the world to receive something, just like I received at that fence that applied decades later. There's something that's been spoken in your hearing today that God is going to use for you and for somebody in your life that he's already prepared to touch. God bless you, God keep you, and keep the faith. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.